afternoon. Welcome in once again. Jimmy B and TC on the air with you. Here with you on a Tuesday. Tuesday means it is a Hawkeye Huddle Tuesday here during the college sports season as Dave Creighton and Brett Ridge will be stopping by for the hour from 5 until 6 o'clock and reliving the, uh, well, frustrating evening that was certainly for the Hawkeyes Saturday night in Kinnick Stadium. We relive, relived that a lot yesterday in the program. The guys will have their crack at it as I will with a bye week this week before they go on the road for four of their next five, starting on October 6th with that road trip up to Minnesota to take on the Gophers. Indiana, after that, the home game sprinkled in between with Maryland, then at Penn State, at Purdue, what Iowa has in front of them. Going to be interesting to see. Certainly the guys' perspective, what they saw, I laid it out for you yesterday. Still a frustrating avenue, I think, for any Hawkeye fan. It was a game that was winnable. It was there. It was there for the taking, and the Hawkeyes could not get it done. Plenty on that, certainly coming up in the Hawkeye huddle this afternoon from 5 until 6 o'clock. Also, some big news on the Hawkeye front. Kirk Ferentz said earlier today during the teleconference with the Big Ten that Nick Neiman suffered a leg injury on the last play versus Wisconsin, and he is going to be out for a few weeks. Barrington Wade listed next on the depth chart. What does that mean? Three to four weeks is what has been talked about with this injury to Neiman. Neiman been playing at a pretty high level. We've seen Welch out there. We've seen Javon Colbert next to, as mentioned, is Barrington Wade on the depth chart. What direction does Iowa go? Hockaday in the middle. Is there flexibility there? Amani Jones, remember, we saw what happened at the start of his career at that middle spot. Maybe he's a guy that you can move to the outside do some different things. Flexibility and injuries are cropping up now for the Hawkeyes, and we will talk about that certainly more with the guys coming up a little bit later on this afternoon. We're going to also talk some Cyclones today. Alex Halstead will be by coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. We'll talk with Alex with the latest on Iowa State. He was in Ames today for the press conference with Matt Campbell. I know he had a chance to talk to a couple of players, Connor Sally, Hakeem Butler, few other guys so uh, we'll get his perspective certainly on Iowa State after last week and just the dreadful circumstances surrounding the athletic department the Ames community Iowa State community as a whole now football game behind them win number one behind them they got that one out of the way what's next and you look at this this stretch coming up for Iowa State it, it is huge in order for this team to get back to a bowl game for the second straight year in order to do that I feel like they're going to have to win at least one of these next three games. At TCU Saturday, at Oklahoma State the week after that, and then they get West Virginia home the third after that. Because the rest of the schedule isn't overly daunting. Texas Tech looks better than a lot of people thought before the year. At Texas, yeah, that game's a little bit more salty. But you go to Kansas, though Kansas is improved, still a very winnable game. You get Baylor at home, Baylor's improved, still a very winnable game. And K-State looks absolutely dreadful. And Cyclo fans, I get it. You don't want to hear that because there's been plenty of times where Iowa State has looked better than Kansas State or even played better than Kansas State, and they walked away with a loss. Ten consecutive years on the wrong side of that one and some epic head scratchers throughout that decade of losing against Kansas State. But that, in fact, out of the remaining games, that might be... 
short of the Incarnate Word game to complete the season. That one I might put on the top of the list of winnable games. And it's silly to say that, and I get it, but just looking at what we've seen on the field, that effort from Kansas State, the adage when they brought two guys to Big 12 Conference Media Days. So Bill Snyder decides, I'm going to bring both my guys. When you don't, when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. That thing, yeah, I think that's proving out in a big, big way. You're seeing that certainly for Kansas State right now. But in order to get there, let's say you get Incarnate Word, that's second win. I mean, that's easy. Kansas State, call it three. Kansas, make it four. Baylor, make it five. You got to find one out of at TCU, at Oklahoma State, West Virginia, Texas Tech or Texas. Got to get one more. And that's without stubbing your toe. You can still lose to Baylor. You can still lose to Kansas State, obviously. Maybe even Kansas. I I, I don't want to go that far, but still, you never know what the teams are going to look like by the time we get to November. It's an important stretch. This is a gettable TCU team. Beat them a year ago, in your building. Now you're going on the road. Wounded animal, all that, after two consecutive losses for TCU. They let the Texas game slip away in the second half. A bad third quarter against Ohio State. They were going blow to blow. But where are they now mentally combined with where they are physically after what they've seen the last couple of weeks with TCU? So we'll talk about that more coming up with Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com, the website for Alex. Ian Castleberry also going to stop by today. It is time to talk some baseball. And yes, we like to joke, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are for baseball. Certainly the case right now. What a fun night last night. The back and forth with the Cardinals, it was great. It was absolutely great. And then the rain delay came. Now with the final week, Cubs trying to hang on. Just trying to hang on with a one and a half game lead. They're going to wrap up with the Cardinals at the end of the season, will the Cubs? And vice versa, obviously. Still, got the game with Pittsburgh Weather permitting, haven't seen anything yet on that. I'll take a closer look here throughout the show today. It'll be Archer on the bump against Montgomery in that one. And see what else hops around. You know, Maybe it is Colorado. Scoreboard watching tonight. Dodgers, Arizona. Possibility. Oakland clinches last night a playoff berth, and what a story. We'll talk about that more coming up with Ian Castleberry and also a little sports media. Always like to do that with Ian a little bit later on. But we're going to take an early break here. Give us plenty of time to talk with Alex Halstead. Again, the Hawkeye huddle coming up a little bit later on. Monday Night Football last night. You heard it here on 1700 KBGG. Pittsburgh jumped out to the 30-10 lead over the Bucks, And the Bucks came flying back. And if that Deshaun Watson punt return, Deshaun Jackson, <laughs> Deshaun Jackson punt return, didn't get called back, we could be having a different conversation today. But the Steelers get it done. Steeler Jim's pleased about it. Chris Conte still doesn't look much different than the guy that was terrible in a Chicago Bears uniform with the Buccaneers as he got face planted to the ground. Never sleep on the Steelers. And much like we saw last night, all right, maybe we went a little bit too far throwing the dirt on the grave of the Pittsburgh Steelers, and here they are, 1-1-1. And right back in the mix in the AFC North. Probably should say the same thing about the New England Patriots, right? 
with the loss, they'd be three back of Miami this week. But come on. We've seen this song and dance before. We've heard the narrative before about the Patriots and it's being over. And it com- never comes to fruition. I'm not going to fall into that trap. Even as bad as it looks, and it looks bad, I'm not going to fall into that trap. And a great night of Thursday Night Football coming up this week. You and I is going to be in action against Indiana State. That's right, Thursday night for the Panthers this week. We will have the call here on 1700 of that. Then right after that game goes final, we'll go right into our Westwood One coverage of the Rams hosting the Vikings. How do the Vikings get off the mat? Everson Griffin, what an odd situation that is with the Vikings, and how much did that play into the head of the team? As you're watching the game against the Bills and that absolutely head-scratching loss, he asks the question, well, what's going on there? I think we know what was going on there. Something incredibly odd. And the Minnesota Vikings now, with the quick turnaround, they go out to L.A. to take on the Rams. That's all your way. Coming up on Thursday, we got a lot more here on a Tuesday. Quick timeout. Back talking Cyclones with Alex Halstead on 1700. KBGG. Welcome back. Time to talk some Cyclones as we welcome in our buddy Alex Halstead from CycloneAlert.com. He joins us here today. Alex, press conference in the books, a wind underneath their belt, and now a couple game road trip coming up for the Cyclones. How was the mood today in Ames? Yeah, I think upbeat, obviously, you know, to, to get, like you said, a win under their belt, now one and two, and, and the, the talk on the media and fan, fan side is you know, Iowa State now goes into this critical three-game stretch against, like you said, two road games with TCU and Oklahoma State and then back home against what by then could be a top-10 West Virginia team. And so three really difficult games in a row. Matt Campbell then is the other side of it, and the players, they're not really interested in talking about a stretch. You know, it's kind of a one game at a time. Um, but, you know, Matt Campbell did say he's, he's happy that now they're in the Big 12 play, a little bit more of, of what they're used to, what they know, and uh, that Big 12 race gets going this weekend. So uh, the victory, let's go back to that one. And, you know, Alex, as I opened the show yesterday and uh, talking about the game, difficult to read a whole lot into it just because of, of the environment, what was happening, obviously, you know, before the game, the emotion that was in the building, all those different things. Before we kind of get into that, explain the mood, if you can, how it was for you in the press box. I know it's different than being in the stands, but but just the mood around the stadium before the game and then, of course, with the pregame ceremonies. Yeah, they did have the, the um, windows open in the press box for the pregame part of it, and it was just, that's what was kind of stunning is just the eeriness of the, just how quiet it was. I don't think I've ever heard Jack Trace, you know, just completely silent. You know, even when they do moments of silence, you just kind of hear a little bit of a buzz still, and it was, that was the just dead silence, and I think that was kind of just a shocking feeling. Um, and then, you know, I think pretty surprised if, you know, the turnout with all the yellow, too, I think that was um, a pretty cool moment, you know, as well, because it was kind of a spontaneous thing where, you know, some of the football players tweeted out, you know, hey, you know, her teammates would like fans to wear yellow, and then, you know, I don't know if Iowa State really ever made the big push, you know, sending out a big email or anything like that. It was more just word of mouth, and it spread quick, pretty quickly, and it was pretty much all yellow in the crowd. And I think, you know, a pretty good tribute and, um, like you said, kind of a different feel as that game got kicked off. Slow start to things, some turnovers, some red zone problems that, that have cropped up. It just, I, I don't want to read too much into it just because it was such a different kind of circumstance than, than anything you could, you'd anticipate. But what was your biggest takeaway from the win over Akron? 
Yeah, it, it had a, a different feel to it, I think, mostly because I think, you know, they went 26 to 13. It never felt like they were going to lose that game. You know, defensively, they kind of dominated throughout. They give up a 26 yard touchdown that came, like you said, after a turnover. And that was really all they gave up defensively was a touchdown that they gave up when Akron started at their, their 26. So, you know, it, it just felt like they dominated from that, that standpoint. I think a lot of fans, I think, look back to last year and saw 41 to 14, and they saw that Iowa State was a 19 point favorite, I think, as it closed that. And we're kind of hoping for this game where Iowa State just dominated and we're playing freshmen and that sort of thing in the fourth quarter. And I think that's probably where some of maybe the disappointment, so to speak, came in with this game is because it was a kind of a grinded-out 26-13 win, and a win's a win, and, and wins are kind of hard to come by in, in college football to begin with. But when you look at what fans expected or wanted versus what happened, I think that's where some of that comes in. But I think there were several different parts of it. I think one of them is – it felt like at times we didn't see everything. We didn't. They didn't show everything offensively, and then it also felt like they were really using that game to get some guys in. You know, we saw Marcel Spears off the field quite a bit for Jake Hummel. Um, we saw Ryan Vance and Mike Rowe switching in a lot. We saw um, them switching in Daytron Young and Anthony Johnson even at the cornerbacks. You know, there were a series where DeAndre Payne came off the field, and it felt like they're trying to continue to get some of those guys game reps as the season goes along, especially now that they get to Big Twelve play, and so. It's hard to read into everything, but there were some, I think, a couple concerning things. One, like you said, is the turnovers, and it wasn't interceptions. It was self, self-inflicted, you know, fumbles. Matt Campbell said that was the biggest talking point with the team on Sunday was they can't be putting the ball on the ground. You know, they were a team that were so good at it last year. They've got three lost fumbles now in three games. And then the second piece was the red zone, and the red zone's kind of a split thing. They're 9 of 9 in the red zone scoring. You know, one of 14 teams in college football that have scored every time they're in the red zone. Matt Campbell would like to punch some of those in, but some of it was situationally. You know, you look at one of those red zone field goals was when they, at the end of the game, ran the ball in the middle three times to kick the field goal. So there's some areas they want to improve red zone-wise, um, but there's some areas they feel like they've done an okay job as well. Let's go to the quarterback position next as we're talking with Alex Halstead, CycloneAlert.com. Alex, uh, we heard from Matt Campbell talking about the return of Kyle Kemp when he's going to be out there and ready to go. What do you think? If you had to to spitball when it will be, will it be that second road game against Oklahoma State? you think he'll be back for the West Virginia game? I'm thinking West Virginia at the soonest, and maybe I think still an outside shot that it's not till after that bye week. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's just kind of like you said, spitballing is probably the good word because it, we just don't know. You know, Matt Campbell said two to three weeks is still kind of what they're looking at. It. He did clarify today that when he's talking two to three weeks, he's not talking two to three weeks to get back to practice. He's talking two to three weeks he'll be playing. But, you know, it just seems like what we've – he hasn't practiced yet. They they did get a better report on Sunday that he's making good progress. It's just we know he's not going to play this week, and that's going to be Zeb Nolan for his third consecutive start and fourth career start. It just feels tough to think that all of a sudden next week he's going to play, but that's how it's going to have to happen at some point. But it, it does feel like maybe West Virginia is a possibility, and then – if he's not close enough, West Virginia, though, if they don't really feel like he's ready to go, then you can give him the bye week, and then you get him back home against Texas Tech after the bye week at the end of October. So it seems like they could go different ways with it. And I also wonder, maybe Seb Nolan plays into it a little bit. You know, what if they do go on the road this weekend and beat a TCU team? Maybe you, you kind of stick with the hot hand in Zeb. So, you know, Zeb has done some good things. I think he's like 72.9% passing, you know, in terms of completion percentage. Um you know, they've thrown underneath a little bit at times. There's things that he needs to improve, but 
I think all in all, they've actually been pretty happy with him. So they, they are happy with what Zeb's done, but they do want to get Kemp back sooner than later. And, and like you said, two to three weeks, but that could be next week, West Virginia, or I could even see it being, you know, Texas Tech on October 27th. I, for my untrained eye, I would stick with Zeb Nolan. I, I think there's a lot more upside, certainly, to his game, not just for the future, obviously, with the six-year senior versus a sophomore, but with the arm that he has, the talent that he's displayed. I'm a big Zeb Nolan fan, and, and with Nolan back and, and with his ability to make plays up the field and continuing good accuracy throughout, I just think he can do more for this offense than Kyle Kemp. I guess like it feels like maybe I'm alone in that island, though. No, I think it's pretty – I've seen a lot of – that's actually been a debate, especially after he played well against Oklahoma. There's quite a debate on the message board just about there's, – there's kind of a camp on both ones. You know, there's a Kyle Kemp camp that says you go back with the experience and, and um, his – one thing Kemp is really good at, we know, is accuracy and also just decision-making of putting – you know, he's, he's always kind of so ahead of things of what the defense is thinking that he kind of sometimes puts the ball in the right spot. But then there's a side like, that's kind of with you that, you know, Zeb can make some of those downfield throws, some of those high-level, you know, sideline-type throws. And so, you know, we, there's kind of both sides of it, and it's going to be interesting to see. You know, like, like we don't know what's going to happen these next couple of weeks, but there is the hypothetical of what if, what if Zeb plays really well, you know, the next couple of weeks on the road. Do you have to keep going with the hot hand until he proves otherwise? That's going to be a question, and, I'm sure they'd rather, you know, deal with that that question, you know, him winning a couple of road games and having to decide that than they would the alternative of it's just obvious that Kemp's the guy. You know, they'd like to probably be put in that situation. One more on the quarterback situation and, and with the injury to Kemp and with Nolan now moving up to be the starter, you have a true freshman that is the backup, and that is Brock Purdy. He is an injury away from becoming the starter. But they also welcomed in another true freshman this year that – I know you remember, Alex, I'm very high on the excitement level and what Riel Mitchell maybe can be down the line. Riel Mitchell came in in the spring. Purdy came in this summer. You thought he had a jump start, but that's not the case. What do you see as the future for Riel Mitchell? Yeah, I think, you know, what Matt Campbell's kind of said about Purdy, first of all, is just that he's put himself in the position because I think he, he's shown an ability to be kind of a little bit of a dual threat, more of like, maybe not this true runner, but he can sit in the pocket and make the throws they think. And I think he's probably got the best arm. And then um, can do a little bit of running. You know, we saw them bring him in for the read option. And, you know, he ran two plays, handed it off once, and then kept it once. So, you know, they do feel like he can do something with his feet, which I think is a little bit different than Zeb. I think Purdy's got a little bit more of an ability to do stuff with his feet than Zeb. But then when you're talking about Real Mitchell, I think right now he feels like a guy that's probably a specialty player, a specialty package, and I think that's something we could see as the season goes along, whether the starter is Zeb Nolan or Kyle Kemp. I think we could still see Real Mitchell once they feel comfortable using him in that package. And that right now he feels like that, like a specialty package player. But he does have a quarterback arm, obviously. You know, they recruit him as a quarterback, not an athlete. And so they do expect him to be able to run the offense and do those sorts of things. And that's what I'm going to be interested to see is what is his development. Um, I did get asked that today, you know, should we read into that, that, you know, Real was here in January, Purdy didn't get to the, here until the summer. Is that a bad thing that Purdy's already passed him? And I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think Purdy's, you know, he's a kid that towards the end was down to Iowa State, Alabama, and Texas A&M. You know, obviously a high-level player, they thought. And so... I think it has a lot more to do with Purdy than it has anything to do with Mitchell. Well, uh, we talked a bit earlier, just touched on one of the things that certainly 
needs to improve going forward is what they do when they get into the red zone, converting them into touchdowns. The good news, though, is when they've had to settle for three, they've gotten three every time from Connor Asali. I know you had an opportunity to talk with him earlier today. What did the Cyclone kicker have to say? Well, you know, we talked about Campbell about him first, and Campbell said that you know, he's just so dry and that, you know, maybe that's one of the things that makes him so good is just that, you know, you can't really rattle him. Campbell said he tries to mess with him at, at practice and things like that, and he just can never really, really get him to laugh or do anything. You know, you just kind of dry and put a confident player. And we talked to Sally, and, you know, this is a kid from Illinois that didn't have many op- options out of high school. You know, he was working with, in high school, a former Illinois kicker. So he's worked with, you know, uh, a guy that knows the craft and that sort of thing. And I think that benefited him in terms of development and being able to walk on at Iowa State. Um, but, you know, he didn't have a whole lot of opportunities. And then Matt Campbell said today that he saw him, I think, two spring games ago. Uh, at the end of the spring game, they gave him a field goal opportunity and he kicked a long one. And Matt Campbell said he's kind of like, man, you know, we need to kind of look into this kid a little bit more and, you know, that's a battle that came down late. You know, him and Braden Arvison, obviously, the true freshman scholarship guy. And um, it's interesting, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens because right now, Connor Sally is obviously seven for seven. He's done a really good job on both field goals and PATs, but most of them have been pretty good range, you know, within 39, 37 yards. And I'm interested to see because it sounds like, you know, Braden Arvison maybe has the leg. If they do want to ever try a 46 or something like that, do they go with the salary or do they go with Narvison? But. Um, the one thing we know is they're really confident in the Sally right now, and you know they've really liked what he's been able to do for them. So coming up this week, it's a road trip, the first of two straight on the road. First a trip down to Fort Worth to take on TCU. Horn Frogs going to be smarting a little bit after what happened to them last week and, and coming in with two consecutive losses. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you know with the Horn Frogs, uh, a new-look team, new quarterback out there, uh, new guys defensively, but... As always with TCU, boy, they look fast. Yeah, that's the main thing that you see with them and just their speed, and that's the first thing Campbell talks about, whether it's offense or defense, it's just speed. And they make things difficult defensively because they have so much speed and they can fly from sideline to sideline, even if even in the Big 12 when you're spread out. And, you know, we saw last year a 14-7 game in Ames, and um, I'm not sure if it's going to be that, that sort of game. I, I feel like it's going to be a little bit more offensive slanted than that. Maybe it's still a good defensive game, but I, I, it's hard for me to see 14-7. to seven. Uh, But, you know, the, the big thing with them so far, you mentioned their new quarterback, Sean Robinson, and it's kind of been a little bit of an up and down with him. You know, he's still learning, he's still young, but he has that dual threat ability, and Iowa State's prepared for that dual threat ability the last two weeks, um, both against Akron and Oklahoma. Both of them possess quarterbacks that could run, especially, obviously, the Sooners with uh, Kyler Murray. So that's their big challenge. You know, I think the big thing in this game is they're going to have to force turnovers. You know, when you look at TCU, they've lost two straight games to Ohio State and Texas, two two good teams. You know, we know for sure Ohio State's a good team. Texas seems to be getting better. I think in those two games, uh, TCU's turned the ball over a combined seven times. And I think for Iowa State to win this game, especially on the road, that's going to kind of be the key is can they, can they force Robinson to make some mistakes as he has the last couple weeks? So these next three before the bye week, TCU, Oklahoma State, West Virginia, it certainly feels like if Iowa State's going to get to bowl eligibility, they're probably going to have to get one of these three games. What's the most likely one in your mind at TCU, at Oklahoma State, or home for West Virginia? Yeah, first of all, that's, I agree. I think they, they win one of these three, and I know, you know fans don't like thinking about two and four, but if you're two and four, then you get a three-week stretch of Texas Tech 
who is more difficult, it looks like, than yeah. we've maybe given yeah. them credit for. But you get a three straight weeks of Tech, Baylor, and Kansas, games you still could be favored in. You could very, I shouldn't say very easily now that I mentioned that Tech point, but you could go from two and four to five and four if you handle your business at home and against Kansas then in, um, in, in November. So this three-week stretch, yes, Iowa State has expectations to win more than one game, but if you can win at least one, it does set you up, like you said, for bowl eligibility and, and to still have a good season in the second half. I would go with Oklahoma State. You know, that was kind of my thought before the season. But between for sure these two road games was Oklahoma State a little bit more than TCU. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying not to overreact to Oklahoma State's one loss there last week, but I just think they've got a little bit more questions. And defensively, that's a game where you can score points. And I think Iowa State's defense is good enough to hold Oklahoma State down. So I feel like that's a game that maybe plays into Iowa State's favor a little bit more than going to TCU, where that's probably going to be a defensive-minded game and, and things are going to be a little bit more difficult for David Montgomery in that offense. Cyclones have played uh, very well in those matchups against Oklahoma State last couple of years. Certainly had opportunities to win the first two of the Matt Campbell regime against the Cowboys, and that'll be coming up a week from Saturday. TCU up first, though. Alex, are you uh, going to make your way down to Fort Worth? You're going to be watching it from home. What's the plan for Saturday? Yeah, I'm, I'm headed to Dallas on Friday and then be in Fort Worth nearby. Not just basically the same thing, but. Uh, on Saturday, so 6 p.m. game. I don't have to worry about the deadlines, but I think an early flight Sunday. So Ooh. try to get all my stories done there in in Fort Worth, and then back, and then next week down to Stillwater. So busy couple of weeks even for me. Doesn't sound like you're going to get much uh, much barbecue and beer in while you're down there. Now, it, it, sometimes these trips are easier than others to kind of explore a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, Fort Worth is, I think Stillwater is a little bit more easy to explore, except for you, you fly into Oklahoma City, which is 44, 45 minutes away. So Big 12 just does not make it easy. It seems like the Big 10, you can kind of drive a lot of places from here and right. maybe explore a little bit more. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Stillwater is not quite as fun to explore as, as Dallas and Fort Worth, that's for sure. Yeah, I've been there once, and they have a nice campus. <laughs> <laughs> nice things to say as always. Alex Allstead from CycloneAlert.com. Alex, thanks as always for your time. Yeah, thanks, Trent. Talk to you later. Alex Allstead joining us here today. Jimmy B and TC continues on. Coming up on the other side, we got a lot more to come here on the program. Hawkeye fans, don't lament. We got you covered coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. It'll be the Hawkeye Huddle with Dave Creighton Jr. and Brett Ridge. We'll be out at the Chicken Coop in Urbandale. Stop by, say hello, enjoy a cold one, some great wings at the Chicken Coop. The Urbandale location is where we'll be from 5 until 6 o'clock. Quick timeout. Coming back on the other side, time to talk baseball. Tuesdays and Wednesdays, therefore the baseball we're in the last week of the regular season. We're going to have Ian Castleberry stop by. He'll be joining us. We'll talk with Ian, get into Major League Baseball here this final week, and also talk a little sports media. Ian also does work at Awful Announcing, one of my favorite sites. A couple of questions for Ian, including The Athletic, uh, getting getting some choice words from an editor of a newspaper. We'll get into that with Ian Castleberry next. We continue on Jimmy B and TC on 1700. All right, welcome back. Jimmy B and TC continues on. We got the Hawkeye huddle coming your way later this evening from 5 until 6. Dave Creighton Jr., Brett Ridge will be talking the world of the Iowa Hawkeyes with you. Right now, though, time to turn our attention over to baseball. We like to joke during football season, Tuesdays and Wednesdays are for baseball. And here we are with the regular season (laughs) 
Down to the final week, Ian Castleberry joins us talking Major League Baseball. Ian, what's the good word? Hey, I'm happy to uh, provide that respite from football. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's it's very true. We get very football heavy, but it's an important time of year, obviously. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm in the same way. At last week of the regular season and the races, though not a ton of overly intriguing things. You know, here in the Midwest, Cubs fans, as you can imagine, getting a little bit more concerned now as the Brewers start the day a game and a half back in the standings. The Cubs are going to be in the playoffs. We know that. But will they be division winners? How concerned should Cub fans be with the Brewers that sit in a game and a half back? I think they should be concerned. Uh, you know, their, their schedule uh, isn't all that favorable. I mean, you know, you look at, at uh, three more games with the Pirates here, and, and you think, well, the Pirates, they're, uh, they're not a playoff contender. But really, I think one of the surprises of the year and as we saw last night, uh, you know, they have a, a, a pitching staff capable of uh, shutting down any lineup, uh, especially a Cubs lineup that's prone to, uh, you know, suddenly uh, fade out. Uh, so, you know, they'll have to face, uh, I know they have to face is it Chris Archer tonight, I mm-hmm. think. Yep. Uh, and uh, that's, I mean, Jameson Talon last night, that's a, a tough road for any team that's looking to uh, get as many wins as they can. Uh, to get a division title. And then ending the season with Freedy and St. Louis, St. Louis could be playing for their playoff lives uh, as well. Uh, you know, we, there, there's a crazy situation in the National League that if uh, certain things go right, you know, we could have, you know, absolute chaos with, you know, a, a playoff for uh, for uh, the NL West, a playoff for uh, the, the second wild card spot. And then, you know, uh, you, you could have a, a game – uh, 163 uh, for uh, uh, the NOS and maybe even uh, the NL Central here. And that's even before uh, the regular one-game wildcard playoff would start. So, uh, you know, if, if you're uh, a fan of, of chaos and, and extra baseball and do-or-die uh, one-game playoff situations, uh, we could get a whole lot of it next week. Speaking of the National League, and it could be, right, a a wild, wild scenario in front of us, and I'm all about the chaos. I I say sign me up for that. I think it would be very, very cool to see. On the other side, you got the Dodgers and the Cubs fans, obviously, and seen them in the last two NLCSs. We know the Dodgers, a lot of the names there. Tell us a little bit more about this Atlanta Braves team. They'll be a playoff team. They've already clinched the East. Freddie Freeman's a name that baseball fans know. Nick Markakis has been around for a long time, but the youngsters from Ronald Cunha, Incarte, Albiz, just on and on and on. This young Braves team, tell us a little bit more what you know about the Bravos. Yeah, uh, as you pointed out, uh, a big infusion of talent. I, I think that maybe they took a, uh, a jump, uh, maybe that sometimes uh, with teams uh, uh, like the Cubs, like the Nationals, uh, you know, uh, six or seven years ago. Uh, I think uh, the hope was that they would contend this year uh, for the NL East, but, you know, w- with the way the Nationals played, uh, you know, so disappointing, uh, they and the Phillies really turned out to be uh, contenders uh, in, in the NL East. But they have a very powerful lineup. Uh, I think that maybe that, that was something that, that wasn't uh, entirely uh, expected. They do have a, a good combination of power and speed. Uh, and defense. Uh, one of the interesting things about the Braves is they play much better on the road uh, 
than at home. So they are almost certainly going to face the, the Dodgers uh, in the National League Division Series. And really the only question is, uh, is that going to be a home game for the Braves uh, or a home series, excuse me, home field, uh, or where the Dodgers have home field? Uh, if you're the Braves, you might actually want uh, the Dodgers to have home field to begin that series uh, in Los Angeles where their power uh, on the road, their power plays a little bit better. Uh, SunTrust Park, really not a, a hitter's ballpark, uh, or at least as it's demonstrated uh, in, in its first two seasons. So uh, you go, uh, the Braves have gone to uh, the other ballparks in the NL East, and uh, their power has made a, a, a much bigger impact. Uh, one question mark uh, with the Braves uh, is that they have an extremely young uh, starting rotation, uh, don't really have a, uh, an established ace. Maybe Mike fulton has kind of emerged uh, as the ace, the game one starter. Uh, but guys like Julio Tehran, who, who maybe you would have considered uh, a number one veteran starter, uh, really hasn't pitched uh, all that well this season. So uh, that, that I think it could be the big question mark. Are they going to get the innings, uh, the production out of their starting rotation? You know, will they be uh, overwhelmed by by the uh, spotlight of the postseason? Uh, the Braves do have a, a strong bullpen, maybe not as strong as a team uh, like the Dodgers, uh, but they're a young, uh, exciting team. Uh, you know, they, they jump for them to win uh, the NL East, not just win it, but win it as early as they did with more than a week left in the season. Really speaks to how. Uh, how well they've played. I, I think they've gone 14 and 8 in September. So this, this uh, wasn't just, uh, you know, everybody else in the division uh, playing badly and, and the Braves emerging. The Braves really asserted themselves uh, in taking over the NL East. Over to the American League, and to me, the story of the season is those Oakland Athletics. They clinched last night with oh, the, yeah. the Tampa loss. So what an incredible story. The lowest payroll in baseball, and, and how this team did it, I still don't know, Ian. I don't either. I look, I look at the numbers. You know, they, they do have uh, some some good power. You know, Chris Davis probably uh, the most underrated power hitter in all of baseball, and not just this season, but going back, you know, two maybe three seasons. Uh, they, they do have a, a MVP caliber player uh, in Matt Chapman. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, it looked like. Uh, the A's made a terrible deal in, in getting rid of Josh Donaldson, but they they pretty much have uh, the same sort of player uh, in uh, Matt Chapman. Uh, this what's incredible about this team. Uh, they're, they're let's say they have a, their four man rotation in the playoffs. At least three of those guys didn't even begin uh, the season on the major league ros- roster. You know that they got Edwin. Jackson uh, in June from the Nationals. Uh, they got uh, Mike Fires uh, at the trade a waiver trade deadline uh, from uh, the Tigers. Uh, Brett Anderson, uh, former Cub, he, he began the season uh, in the minors, I think. Uh, so they they've uh, kind of uh, they along with the Tampa Bay Rays have uh, kind of switched the way uh, you, you know you use a, a pitching staff, not depending so much. Uh, on the starting rotation, uh, Billy Bean and uh, uh, David Forrest, uh, the front office there uh, in Oakland, they've really invested a lot in the bullpen. Uh, you know, they, they've got Blake Trennan, who's had a resurgent season, but they've also gotten uh, Juris Familia from the Mets, Fernando Rodney from the Twins. Uh, they have a bullpen that goes 
uh, five or six deep. And so they, they don't need as much out of their starting pitching. You know, maybe if they get uh, two, three innings uh, out of their starting pitcher or what, what they call an opener now, you know, with the expectation that uh, the starter's not going to go five or six innings. I think that's an ideal uh, uh, formula or roster setup for the postseason. I'm very interested to see uh, how that Oakland pitching staff is going to fare in the playoffs. Ian, who is the favorite in the American League as we get ready to uh, set up what should be an entertaining couple of weeks through the uh, wild card game, the DS, and of course the championship series? Who do you mark as the favorite? Of course, the Red Sox have 106 wins. That would be the easy answer. Is that where you're going? Yeah, I think that's where I'm going. I mean, it's easy to say, yeah, 106 wins. Certainly the Astros uh, are an extremely uh, strong team. We're probably uh, underestimating the Indians, especially with their starting pitching. You know, uh, they, they could easily turn a series, uh, you know, with a couple of excellent starts from uh, uh, Corey Kluber, uh, uh, Trevor Bauer. But I think the most complete team is the Red Sox. With their their lineup, the probable American League MVP, Mookie Betts, in the lineup there, they have an excellent starting rotation with Chris Sale and David Price at the top, a deep bullpen. And I think they have – this is one reason why they've been so successful this year. I think in terms of roster, in terms of organization, they've had the most depth. They can fill holes. Uh, throughout the regular season, they, they've done that pretty easily. Uh, in the postseason, uh, I think uh, you know they don't. They have the starting pitching. They have the aces uh, who can do it, but uh, they also have the bullpen uh, if needed uh, to, to reduce the burden on that starting pitching. Ian Castleberry joining us with a look around Major League Baseball. Ian, before we let you go, you also do work over at Awful Announcing and found a, a pretty intriguing piece over there today dealing with The Athletic. Now, I am a subscriber to The Athletic. Enjoy the coverage very much. Some newspaper are, people yeah. uh, I have have some different feelings to it. Let's start before we kind of get in the nuts and bolts of the latest from over there and uh, the editor over at Cleveland.com, some of the comments he made. Your thoughts in general of The Athletic? Uh, I mean, uh, not just as a consumer of sports media, but somebody who works in sports media, I'm rooting for the athletic. I mean, I, I very much like uh, that they uh, have some of the writing that we don't necessarily see anymore. Everything's so uh, fast and, uh, you know, clickbait-driven online. You know, we, we can take uh, uh, more time uh, with stories. You know, they can send reporters uh, down to the Dominican Republic to to, to, to uh cover how, you know, uh, uh, say the Cincinnati Reds uh, Academy down there uh, is working. I think, uh, you know, paying for uh, a sports coverage uh, is a tough sell, but I think, you know, that they've brought over enough names and, again, uh, provided the sort of coverage that, you know, you, you just don't necessarily get anymore, uh, anywhere else than maybe uh, ESPN. Uh, I think it, it's a great product. You know, they've uh, expanded very impressively uh, uh, from city to city, you know, first uh, covering hockey and baseball. Now they've expanded to football uh, and the NBA. Uh, they've been very aggressive, uh, and, and as you point out, that has rubbed some people in the newspaper industry the wrong way. So the article at Awful Announcing talks about Chris Quinn, the editor of Cleveland.com, connection with the Cleveland Cleveland Plain Dealer. I'm sure a lot of people will know that. And, and uh, made some, I, I don't know, veiled threats perhaps, Hopefully uh, yeah. people don't jump ship and, and end up 
is it a sustainable model? I mean, what what he is getting at is the crux of I think the biggest question with the athletic: Is this model sustainable after the big money that they have invested into it? Once that goes away, can a subscription model be sustainable with this many people and and this many subscribers you need to have? That is uh, the big question. I think you know if they consistently deliver coverage uh, that isn't available anywhere else, like in Cleveland, uh, you know that they hired a. Uh, Joe Vardone, uh, uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers beat writer, um, you know, if, if he provides coverage that Cleveland.com uh, no longer does, uh, or he, or even ESPN, I think fans will uh, go over uh, to the athletic. But that is the number one question uh, that just hangs over this entire enterprise. Is this sustainable? They can sign up a lot of uh, subscribers at the beginning, you know, with, with a discounted rate. And you know, I've seen as much as 40, 50 percent off for a, a one year. Uh, subscription, but you know, are those people going to renew uh, in year two, uh, in, in year three? I think they will. Uh, I think uh, you know the talent uh, that they have gotten uh, is uh, is worth the price. Uh, again, it, it depends on how much people want out of their sports coverage. You know, if they want uh, more in depth uh, reporting, more features, uh, you know, the, the sort of thing that you, you don't see as much online uh, that you don't get on on television anymore. Uh, I think it is sustainable, but you do have to wonder about, you know, their uh, very, very aggressive growth and if maybe they've taken on uh, too much too soon. But if they can own uh, a sport, I think they've done a very good job uh, with hockey, with baseball. I don't know if they've really established a foothold yet in the NFL. We'll see what happens uh, with the NBA. They've hired some very big names such as uh, – uh, Shams uh, Charania uh, from Yahoo. I, I think that's uh, that was a big name that I think people will go over uh, to read uh, his work. Uh, I think the athletic can be sustained, but it, it could be a few years before. And you know, uh, online companies aren't always as forthcoming with uh, you know numbers and uh, uh, what sort of success they're having versus uh, what sort of money they're getting uh, in uh, capital investments. So it could be a couple of years before we find out just how successful the athletic is. Ian Castleberry talking baseball and sports media. Ian, as always, thank you for your time. Trent, thank you so much. Great talking to you. Same to you. Always love our conversations with Ian Castleberry as he joins us here on a Tuesday. Hawkeye Huddle Tuesday. Dave Creighton Jr. and Brett Whitridge, they're waiting in the wings. Speaking of wings, the chicken coop is where they'll be, the Urbandale Lake location. Stop on by, have a cold one, talk with the guys, and listen to Hawkeye Talk coming up for the next hour. Baseball tonight, well, of course, the Cubs will be at the forefront of things. We'll be keeping an eye on that one as they get the Pirates. It'll be Chris Archer on the bump going up opposite of Mike Montgomery. That Brewers-Cardinals series, a lot of fun last night. The rain delay, a little bit annoying, not going to lie, a little annoying getting into it. Tie game, boom, the Reigns game will battle through. And that pitching matchup tonight is going to be Gio Gonzalez for Milwaukee against Gomber from St. Louis. Gio Gonzalez drives me insane. Luckily for me, I'll be working later this evening. I'll be calling a volleyball match on Mediacom. So because of that, I'll get into the game late, and by the time I probably get home, probably not going to have to deal with Gio Gonzalez because ooh, ooh, ooh. Not a guy I enjoy to watch. As your scoreboard watching tonight, too, Cardinal fans, keep an eye on Colorado as the Rockies. They get Philadelphia tonight. It'll be Chad Bettis on the bump uh, against Valaquez from the Phillies. That'll be the matchup this evening. And away we go. Baseball. Final week. It's good. We're good.
We're due for a break. Kick it off the 5 o'clock hour. It's the Hawkeye Huddle, and it's next on 1700.